John chapter 8. Hopefully you guys are making your way there. And we started this study, um, oh, it's been a while now. We've been tracking through John chapter 8 over the last couple of weeks and uh, seeking to um, finish it up here this morning and uh, making our way through it. So in John chapter 8, what we've really been kind of looking at here is this contrast that's going on. Um, this contrast between Jesus and his critics, the religious leaders. Sadly, it's the religious leaders who are kind of the ones in most opposition to Jesus, who are being the critics and seeking to come down and really ultimately seeking to, to kill Jesus. But in chapter 8 here, we're seeing this contrast that's, that's taking place between these two groups of people. And, and we've seen it laid out in this way, this grace versus law, because in the beginning of chapter 8, we saw this great account of the woman that's caught in adultery, and she's brought before Jesus by these ones seeking to accuse her, but yet Jesus, what does he say? He, he looks to display this grace and love to her. Then in verse 12, we saw how Jesus is the light of the world, right? So this contrast between light and darkness, that all these accusers and religious leaders were ultimately walking in. And then we saw that difference between life and death as Jesus began to lay out a little bit more about what he's come to do and bring. Well, here now, as we pick up in verse 31, if you're wondering where we're at, verse 31, we're going to look at three things here now today as we continue on this contrast. We're going to see this difference between bondage and freedom, between sons of God and children of the devil, and then honor and dishonor, the contrast between honor and dishonor. So these are the things that we're going to be seeing as we finish up the rest of the chapter. Now, there's an expression that's oftentimes used kind of in pop culture today. It's kind of a slang expression. It's the expression, who's your daddy? Anybody heard that? Anybody ever heard that said about them? Well, it's a term that's oftentimes used kind of to show this sort of like, you know, um, uh, like we're kind of better than you, we're, we're over you in a sense. It's this term that's kind of used to to show this dominance. You'll often hear it in a sporting event uh, with fans cheering, you know, shouting out, who's your daddy? Oftentimes when their team is taking it to the other team, right? Who's your daddy? You'll hear me maybe saying it when I'm playing spike ball against the youth. Who's your daddy, right? Not to them, but oftentimes just, you know, under my breath behind their back. But um, it's this term to, you know, to show this kind of dominance. Well, in this chapter... We're going to be seeing this kind of reference, not who's your daddy, but more so who's your father. Who's your father? And Jesus isn't doing it to show this kind of dominance over the people there, but to really bring clarity as to who they're really following. These religious leaders, these, this crowd that's kind of coming to try to undermine and, and, and trip up Jesus in certain ways. He's seeking to draw them into an awareness of who are you really following? Who's your father? So that's the question that we're going to be asking. It's kind of the title of our message. Who's your father? In other words, who are you most resembling? Because there's one of two ways, one of two people that you're going to be following after. It's going to be the Lord, God, or it's going to be our, our mortal enemy, Satan. And this is what Jesus is seeking to draw out. And, and we're going to see some very kind of uh, uh, just Jesus hitting them right kind of between the eyes with a very blatant kind of truth in this. Not pulling any punches, but to lay it out for them. Who are you following? Who's, who's really your father that you're following after and resembling? And so it's important questions to be even asking ourselves here. Well, last week, we ended in this verse, verse 30. 
And this is important as we start to look at this contrast between freedom and bondage. Look at verse 30. It says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now that's a great thing right there. Because as Jesus is speaking, there's people that are hearing his words, hearing this truth. They're seeing this light of the world shining in on them now. He's seeing them show just great grace to that woman caught in adultery, speaking about this life that he's come to give them. So they're hearing all this, and now many believed in him. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't so interested in just people making a kind of declaration like, okay, we're going to follow you. Yeah, Jesus, we got it. We understand who you are. Jesus wants to sort of break this down and, and bring some, some distinction and clarity over who's really the true followers and believers of Jesus. Look at this in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's saying, listen, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Jesus isn't interested in just people coming alongside him for what they can get out of him. As was the case oftentimes, in fact, we've seen a great crowd already leave Jesus when that message, that teaching kind of got a little bit maybe too hard for them. When they realized, oh, you mean he's not going to keep... you know, multiplying the bread and the fish. He's not going to keep supplying the food for us that we need. He's not going to keep just meeting our daily in, in that way that they thought he was just feeding their bellies. When they saw that that wasn't taking place in that way that they were hoping, they departed. It was a loose kind of belief. So Jesus is much more interested in saying, listen, I'm not interested in just people tracking with me for what they can get out of me. I want true followers. And he describes it in that term of being disciples. And that's important for us here. That word disciple in the Greek is this word matatis, matatis, which means learner or follower. It speaks of a person that is continuing to progress in their walk with the Lord. You know, in the New Testament, that term Christian is used only three times. We oftentimes use that as the way to, dis- to make that distinction as to who we are. I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. But that term is only used a few times, yet that word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. In other words, Jesus is much more interested in you being one that's a true follower and a disciple, meaning that you are continuing to progress in your walk with the Lord. We want to give great emphasis and importance to that even within our church. Because we're not just interested in seeing people that are being Christian, because Again, through our church here and all through churches meeting worldwide here on Sunday, you will have a lot of people sitting in church who are just merely Christian by name, but have not walked in that life as a disciple. Jesus is not interested in just a person making a decision at one point in their life, but to be making a commitment and making it a lifestyle where you're saying, I am following Jesus now. I'm a, I'm a disciple of God. In other words, I'm interested in continuing to track with him and learn of him. The Jews understood very well what that was because rabbis would have their students just simply come alongside them and follow them and learn of these rabbis. It became a lifestyle. It became a way of life for them just to track with the, with the rabbi. And so too, that's the way it needs to be in our lives with the Lord because like I say, there's a lot of people that have 
made that decision where at one point they said in their life, yep, okay, God, I'm going to give you a try. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to believe you. But yet that was not just the starting point for them. It was the finishing point. That was it. Maybe they prayed a prayer and said, okay, I guess I'm good now. And I'll just keep going on about my life the way that I choose to live it. And well, I made that, I, I prayed that prayer at one point. It was a starting point, but also the finishing point. Do you understand that we never hit our finishing point until we're with the Lord in heaven? Do you, in other words, do you understand that we keep progressing and that should be the desire of our heart to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep being that student of the Lord to say, I want to keep receiving and learning and growing in the things of God. That's why, why Paul would write oftentimes, man, run that race with endurance, you know, keep your eyes on the prize because you're not there yet and you won't be there until you're dead and now alive with Christ for all of eternity. That's the finishing point. But we're not there yet. As long as we have breath and we're in these physical bodies, we keep learning and growing. So how do we do that? How best do we do that? Well, Jesus answers that right there for us in verse 30. If you abide in my word. So verse 30, many believed in him, but then Jesus says, hold on a second. If, if you believe in my word, then you are my disciples. That's the key right there. Are you abiding in the word of God? And that is so important. That idea of abiding in the word of God is not just a a kind of momentary thing again. It's not just, you know, Sundays coming to church and maybe having a Bible study and intake of God's word. It's that you are continuing to live. It doesn't mean that you're just like, you know, in the word 24-7, like you're driving in your car and you got your Bible off to the side. You know, you're like, okay, I'm just, I got to abide in the word, man. Oh my goodness. You know, you're walking around everywhere. You're going just with the word of God. Oh boy, I got to abide in the word. That's not, but, but what we do when we get into the word of God, our heart and our prayer is that we're getting the word of God into us. And now we're beginning to live that out. So in other words, as we're living our lives, We're just flowing and functioning according to the word of God. We're abiding in the word. Saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? What what is your truth that you have for me here? I want to live that out. I want to live out your way, God. That's the key right there. You know, there's there's many religions, many philosophies that have a truth claim. But understand, we have... The very truth. Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the way, the only way. There's no other way. And I'm the truth. There's no other truth apart from Jesus and apart from what we get in God's word. So those that are his disciples, those that are truly tracking with Jesus, that have truly put their faith in Jesus, are those that are abiding in the word of God. Taking in the word of God and allowing it to just work through their lives and begin to direct their lives. Like Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. We're allowing it to direct us and, and lead us on and to strengthen us, you see. And, and what a beauty this is because it's the very word of God. We don't go through the word of God because it's some kind of religious exercise. You've heard me say this oftentimes and I think we have to be so careful in that. It's not just some religious exercise or ticking off our boxes that we feel we need to meet that quota each day of living this Christian life. No, it's because this is a living word of God and it's the very 
very heart of God that when we're getting into the word of God, getting the word of God in us, it's that life of Jesus that's continuing to transform us and work through us. There's a great effect that comes as we get into the word of God. It's the word of God that, that abides forever. You see, First Peter tells us that. That abides and dwells forever. When everything else is passing away, it's the word of God that continues on. And so may we be those that are showing ourselves to be true disciples by abiding in the word and allowing that to lead us and direct us in, in how we live our lives. And these people here, we're very far from that. And Jesus says, listen, and the truth will be, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Now, these people weren't experiencing that. They thought they were, but they're not experiencing true freedom because here's what the word of God does. The word of God begins to lay out for us who we are, our condition and our need for Jesus. But when we begin to see that, we begin to see that Jesus has accomplished the work for us to indeed forgive us and to give us new life. This truth begins to open up our eyes to the reality of where we are, but what Jesus has done for us and now what we receive in him. And guess what? When you begin to see that truth unfold... Man, suddenly you're set free. You're like, oh man, because we were once in bondage as we'll see. We were once in bondage because of sin. And so many people are trying to get themselves free by being a good person, doing good things, following religion. But those things just keep enslaving us. Jesus says, listen, get into the truth and get the truth into you and the truth shall make you free. Because you'll begin to understand and realize what the reality is of your condition, but now what Jesus has done for you to save you. And suddenly when you start thinking on right terms, then you're set free. Because we oftentimes can twist things around and, and have a distorted view of reality. It's like if your, your boss was to call you and say, I, I need to meet with you tomorrow morning. Come in first thing, come into my office. And you start hearing, you know, kind of rumblings around the office like, oh, I hear they're going to be making, um, well, there's an Apple car that just drove by with a big camera on it. Maybe they got me on Apple Maps now. All right, we're open. Okay. Sorry, a little distraction. Squirrel, exactly. Squirrel, okay. I've never seen one of those before. Sorry. So, boss calls you into into work and there it goes through the parking lot okay don't don't worry about it it's still driving around it didn't get me the first time it needs to get okay boss calls you into work into the office and you're like free there's there's talk there's rumblings going around the office as though i hear there's going to be some cuts perhaps i hear they're looking like some people suddenly what do you do now you're dreading going to your boss's office thinking he's going to fire me or he's going to lay me off oh my goodness you start panicking you start freaking out you're sweating and you're going oh man i don't want to go in the office we well, go in the office the next day and he says hey i'm really happy about your work i want to promote you and without promotion it's gonna be a raise suddenly it's like oh there's a new truth involved now and what happens you're suddenly set free all that burden that you're carrying of worry suddenly you're set free like oh my goodness this is so freeing this is lovely that's what we get when we get into god's word and we begin to see the reality what Jesus has done by his grace. He has called us and saved us. He's given us new life. That old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in Christ. That is freeing. The truth is to set you free. And I hope that you've experienced that freedom in and through the truth here of God's word. But here's the key. Be abiding. Abiding in the word. 
take it in. Daily have that time just to get into God's word and get God's word into you and allow it to lead you and, and direct you and, and just be abiding in that through the day. That's a great thing when you take that quiet time with the Lord in the morning and you begin to underline, mark, maybe a journal. And I encourage you to do so. You journal, you mark some things down. And as you're writing those things down, it just gets imprinted in the mind and you go through your day and suddenly you're just reminded of that scripture. You're just meditating on it. You're just abiding in the word. It's such a joyous thing. That's what being a disciple is all about. You keep growing. You keep learning. You're not satisfied with where you're at. You're not becoming stagnant. You're growing in the Lord. And I pray that that's the case here. Listen, if you're here today and, and you want to be decide maybe you've gone to church all your life and yet you've never had someone sit beside you and just kind of take you through some of these important truths and just disciple you man come and talk to me because we want to establish that as a real culture in our church of discipleship and just seeing people growing and and progressing in their walk with the lord come and talk to me we'd love to have someone come alongside and just be a, a mentor and just disciple you in these things well let's move on here verse 33 Verse 33 says this. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? So here's these religious leaders. And guess what? They're so, they're not only deceiving others, they're deceiving themselves. Because they're, they're looking at their lives going, What are you talking about be set free? What do we need to be set free from? We've never been in bondage before. Really? How easily you forget. Do you remember that time your ancestors were in Egypt? Guess what you were? Slaves. How about Assyria? How about exiled into Babylon? You were captives there. And presently their situation was that Rome was ruling over them. They were in bondage to Rome right now presently. Oh my goodness, how much we can so easily deceive ourselves into thinking one way about ourselves. We have our own truth about ourselves, but... That's why we need to get into God's word and realize what the real reality and truth is. See, look at what Romans chapter 6 verse 17 says. It says, but God, be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Though you were slaves of sin. That, that is the reality for all of us. You and me some of the times. No. I was a slave of sin, just as you were. I was in bondage. I didn't realize it at the time. But that was my reality, apart from Christ. But yet, through Christ, we've been set free. We needed to be set free because of sin. Every single one of us, the whole of the world, needs to be set free and find freedom in and through Christ because of sin that we were in bondage Now, Jesus says something wonderful here. Look at verse 34. Verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Oh man, this is rich here today, guys. This is good stuff here for us. You see, A slave doesn't understand, know, experience what it's like to really be a part of something. They are temporarily involved in their master's household, but that's not a permanent thing for them. 
A slave doesn't enjoy the, the benefits of, of assurance, of a, a future hope, you see. A slave does not abide in the house, but a son abides forever. You see, the son of the master, they're different, different relationship than the slave. Though that son might be a real doofus, might be a real idiot, might be very, you know, like, just doesn't have it together. Guess what? There's still a son. And they still enjoy the benefits of a son dwelling in the house with permanency, with that future hope that they enjoy. And so too, when we become sons of God, children of God through faith in Jesus, we become that son that enjoys the benefits and, and that future hope. We enjoy that inheritance now that we know when we die, we're going to be dwelling in the house of God forever. It's not because of what I've done. It's not because I'm a good person. It's because I've made myself a child of God through faith in Jesus. He's adopted me in by his grace. I don't deserve it, but he does it for me. And I get adopted in with full benefits as a child of God. Ephesians 1. We're blessed with every blessings of Christ in the spiritual places. What a joy that is. And guess what? When you begin to understand that, if the Son makes you free, she'll be free indeed. Here's the beauty of it. When we commit our life to the Lord, when we're disciples of Jesus and just abiding in Him and His Word, and you're free indeed. Nothing, nothing changes that. We're in Him. We're in His righteousness. Nothing changes that. You shall be free indeed. Have you claimed that? For, have you held on to that yourself? Have you made that a certainty in your life? Are you walking in that freedom today where you can say, I am free and I am free indeed because of Jesus and what he's done for me. Isn't it great to know that truth today? There's no other way that you can be free apart from the Son. It's only found in him. Well, we move now from looking at that bondage versus freedom to look at now being children of God versus children of the devil. Look at verse 37. It says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, well, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. So Jesus says something here. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. And what he means by that is, He's saying, I know that you're Abraham's descendants based on a physical lineage. Yes, based on your DNA, you come from Abraham. I get that. But what Jesus is drawing them into an awareness of is that you are not at all resembling Abraham. And those that are of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, are those that are of Abraham spiritually. They do the, the works of Abraham, basically. If you are Abraham's children, he says, you do the works of Abraham. Well, what are the works of Abraham? It's faith. Believe. In fact, Genesis 15, 6 says this. And he believed in the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. Right when, when God is telling Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants so numerous, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the sky, Abraham and, and all the nations are going to be blessed through your seed. And Abraham is getting well on in age at this point. And Sarah was too. And they're not having any children. Sarah was barren. 
So Abraham's looking at that promise thinking, God, man, I, I don't know how that's going to work. How's, how's that going to happen? Because, I mean, I don't know if you looked at Sarah lately, but she ain't looking like she's ready to be reproducing here. Sarah, by the time she had a child, she was 90 years old, and Abraham was 100 years old. So that took a lot of faith by Abraham. But guess what? Genesis 15, he believed when God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and all the nations of the world will be blessed by you. Abraham believed. And, and it's as though now, because of that faith, that righteousness was accredited to Abraham. It wasn't through what Abraham did. It wasn't because Abraham was a good person. It was because Abraham believed the word of the Lord and he was made righteous. That's the work of Abraham. So Jesus says, all those that are of Abraham are those that have done the works of Abraham. In other words, you believed. You put your faith, your trust in Jesus. But these were men that hadn't done that. In fact, Jesus says, you're seeking to kill me. You're seeking to kill me when I've just come and I've simply spoken the truth to you. I've done nothing wrong. I've told you the truth, but you've sought to kill me. Guess what? Jesus says, Abraham never did that. Abraham never looked to take out vengeance on something just because they didn't like what they were saying. Abraham didn't do that. You are resembling somebody other than children of Abraham and more so children of God. We'll look at what we see as we read on here, verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father who is God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Notice what these Pharisees are doing right now. And it's something that you'll see very common among those that are looking to kind of counter these claims of Christianity and counter the truth. Well, what happens is that they, they run out of, out of responses or arguments. They start getting convicted of sin. So what they'll often do, because they have no other answer, no other recourse, they just start putting you down. They start insulting and belittling that's what these Pharisees are doing. They say, listen, we, we know who our father is. We weren't born of fornication. They start trying to just put down Jesus and discredit Jesus. And they're doing so based on, again, the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, but they don't understand that. Because when Mary gave birth to Jesus, Mary and Joseph weren't married. So they're looking at Jesus being a, a, an illegitimate child, born out of wedlock, born of fornication. Don't tell us who our father is, we weren't born so in sin and, and, and in shadiness like you were, Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. And they're just trying to put him down because they, they're getting convicted here. They got nowhere else to turn. And that's what the world often does when they got nowhere else to turn, when they're being confronted with the light. They just try to insult and extinguish the light. That's what these Pharisees and Jewish leaders are, are doing here. But Jesus simply is saying, listen, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded from God. Jesus says, I've come from God. I've come representing God. I've come speaking the same things of God. And if you had known God, then you would have, have, have known me. 
How do you know if God is your father? Well, 1 John 5, 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. You will accept Jesus, and you will love those that are in Jesus if you are truly in God, or of God. That will be a correlation there. And there are many today that, that try to dismiss Jesus. They say, oh, I love God, but Jesus, and that's a different story. You can talk to people about God and religion, but the moment you bring up Jesus, they get very defensive, and they don't want to talk about it. But you can't have it both ways. How you know that you're really following God and that God is your father is that you have a love for Jesus. You have a love for those that are in Jesus. You accept him. What you think of Jesus will be a very good indicator whether or not God is your father. But notice they couldn't understand this. They're not grasping it. Why? Because Jesus says there at the end of verse 43, you're not able to listen to my word. They They didn't spend any time taking in God's word. Following truth. They wanted to follow their own truth. They wanted to live a life that was all about them. And and just flaunting their self-righteousness. If they'd gotten into the word, they would have understood very well that God's not interested in that. He wants their heart. He wants humility. But they hadn't been abiding in the word. And Jesus, what did he tell us in verse 31? If you abide in my word, you're my disciples. But again, Jesus points out, you haven't been doing that. You haven't been disciples of God here. Look at verse 44. Jesus now, he, he, he hits them right between the eyes. I love this. Jesus, he's so good. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Now, I don't encourage you to try that on people, even though you want to at times. You don't tell me what's going on. You're of the devil. You might want to be tempted to do that sometimes, but don't do it. Jesus, he'll, he can get away with it. He's Jesus, right? But... You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So Jesus lays it out for them very clearly. You think you're following God. You think you're children of God. The reality is you're children of the devil because they were more resembling the works of the enemy. How does the devil get described here? He gets described as a murderer. Gets described as one that doesn't stand in the truth. He gets described as a liar, not just a liar, but the father of lies. And that is exactly the way that these Pharisees, these religious leaders have been conducting themselves. They've been seeking to murder Jesus. They've not been standing in the truth. They've been, they've been lying about these things. They've been deceptive to try to trap Jesus. So they've been resembling the works of the devil more than God. And that's what Jesus simply points out to them. But if they were of God, they would have heard the words of Jesus. Here's the thing. If they were truly tracking with God, desiring to follow God, they would have heard the words of Jesus and said, I recognize that. I recognize that to be the very heart of God. This man has to be a God because everything lines up so perfectly. But because they weren't of God, they didn't recognize those words and that truth of Jesus. And they dismiss him. They seek to put him away. Well, Jesus goes on now and we look at 
this last part in John 8 as we discuss this honor and dishonor. Because Jesus is all about honoring the Father, whereas this crowd here, these religious leaders are all about really dishonoring. Dishonoring God because they were living more for their honor and not for God's honor. Verse 48 says this, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So here again, what do the Pharisees do? Well, they're stuck. They don't know how to respond to this. So they just attack Jesus. They just seek to, to, again, insult him, belittle him, put him down, try to just attack him through scorn and ridicule. Oh, now we know that you're a Samaritan. And that wasn't a compliment because the Jews saw the Samaritans as kind of this half-breed of people. They were impure race. And so the Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And not only did they say, you're a Samaritan, but you're a Samaritan that has a demon. Kind of a double whammy right there. Not good. And that's how they speak of Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, I, I don't have a demon. I'm just seeking to honor my father. Everything I'm doing is about God and revealing him and showing him. I'm not seeking my own glory. And guess what the Pharisees were doing? Seeking their own glory. Aaron, they did. In fact, when you go through the, the gospel of Matthew, you start to see how these Pharisees, Jesus points out everything they did, they did to be seen and praised of men. They would go out of their way to do their religious service and their acts right in kind of public places so that everybody look at them and go, whoa, look at how spiritual they are. They weren't doing it unto God. They were doing it to be seen and praised by men for their own glory. How sad. She says, I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm seeking just to glory, glorify my father. And then he says something profound here. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now, here's the amazing thing. I want you guys to understand that. Here's Jesus being confronted, criticized, basically condemned by this crowd, these religious leaders. You're born of fornication. You're a Samaritan who has a demon. But guess what Jesus does? He keeps inviting them in. He doesn't turn around and say, oh, you guys, get behind me, Satan. You are totally of the devil. You think I've got a demon. You've got a hundred of them. He doesn't do that. He doesn't cast them aside. He says, listen, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Jesus is giving them an invitation, an opportunity to receive this truth so that they can stay alive in him and receive life eternal. It's amazing. Do you understand the depth of the grace of Jesus that keeps giving people opportunity when they least deserve it. I was in that boat. I didn't deserve his grace. I was no better than these Pharisees. Though I probably didn't call Jesus, you know, that he had a demon, but I was no better spiritually than these people were. I didn't deserve to be saved, but Jesus, by his grace, he invited me and he, he gave me opportunity to receive life. He keeps my word. We'll never see death. That's what it's all about right there. If you abide in my word, you're my disciple, 
He who keeps my word. Do you see that kind of common theme there? It's continuing on in these things. Remaining in these things. You're not a Christian because you prayed a prayer at youth camp one year when you were 13 years old. You're a Christian because you remain in the truth, in the word of God. And by doing so, you show yourself to be a a disciple, progressing, following, continuing on in these things. Jesus has given them opportunity to enjoy this life in him. But again, here's the Pharisees now, and they just keep looking at things on a physical, natural level. They're not rising to that spiritual level that Jesus is seeking to bring them into. Because notice how they respond here in verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, "Um, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Wow. See, these guys are looking at this going, hold on a second. How can you say that we'll never die? Because our heroes of the faith, Abraham, the prophets, Moses, these guys all died. They're dead, they're gone. And you're going to tell us now that we'll never die? How are you, are you greater than these people, these heroes of our faith, our, our, our great fathers? They didn't comprehend what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus answered, verse 54, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. (laughs) That's good. But I do know him and keep his word. He's just kind of subtly slipping that in. I'll just make myself to be a liar. Kind of like you. Okay. And your father, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Wow. Hmm. Here's Jesus saying, listen, guys, I'm just seeking to honor God. That's all I'm desiring to do. I'm desiring to communicate the truth of our Father, the ways of our God. That's all I'm doing. I'm not speaking on my own accord, my own own behalf. I'm speaking that from the Lord. And he says, listen, your father Abraham, he was looking forward to the day. He saw my day and he was glad for what he saw. These Pharisees are in that day. And they're not excited for their scene. But Jesus says, Abraham saw this day and he was glad. Now, how did Abraham see that day? Well, it could be that again, Genesis 15, when Abraham believed, his kind of righteousness, he believed that through his seed, God would bring that Messiah into the world, the Messiah that would fulfill the promises of God and bring salvation to all of humanity. Abraham understood what God was doing and he was rejoicing and glad in it. It could be that through the Christophanies, that pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus that Abraham witnessed, he saw Jesus. Many believe that Melchizedek was certainly a, a type of Jesus, if not a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, that, that Abraham met with Melchizedek, this, this high priest of, of Salem, Jerusalem. And so many see that as a type of Jesus. So Abraham saw this day, he was glad, he rejoiced in it. He didn't look down and go, oh man, this doesn't jive with me, this doesn't add up. He was glad about it. But these people were anything but glad. They were missing it. But now, they're all the more confused. Look at verse 57. Then the Jews said to him, 
you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Jesus once again, I think this is the third time he alludes to this statement, I am. And by using that term, I am, ego eimi, he's declaring his deity, that he is God. Because this is the very name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush, Genesis, or sorry, Exodus chapter 3. And, and it was the way that God revealed himself, I am. All that you need, Moses, I will be for you. I am that. I am that I am, the all-existing one. Everything we need. Jesus saying, I am. To them, they understood that he was making himself out to be not just sent of God, not just one glorifying God, but claiming to be God, who Jesus truly was. And what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him. But because of that protection of God, that divine timing of God that is leading Jesus all the way through this ministry now, he slips away from them unharmed because this is not yet time i'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now we're going to close with a song but a few things for us just to think about as we end here now there's two sides when it comes to jesus first of all as we've seen here today you can be a slave to sin or you can be set free by the son you can be a child of the devil or you can be a child of god Thirdly, you can be the one ready to cast the stones at Jesus or be the one ready to cast yourself at the feet of Jesus and receive his grace. These Pharisees were ready to pick up stones to cast them. They wanted to silence this. Have you responded to the truth today? Have you received it and said, I want that. I want that life in Jesus. I want that truth to set me free. Maybe you're here today and you felt that you've just been in bondage and you haven't experienced that life, that freedom to where you can say, if the sun sets me free, I'm going to be free indeed. Are you able to say that for yourself? How is one set free? They're set free by recognizing your sin, your, your depravity, your need for salvation. And it's through putting your faith in Jesus. Not just a belief about Jesus, but understanding that he came to this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. So that by believing in him, we can be forgiven of sin and truly set free and brought into life in Him. Be a part of the family of God. Who's your Father today? Who are you resembling? I pray that you are resembling our Heavenly Father. That you can say concretely that He is your Father. If not, turn to Jesus today. Put your faith in Him. Understand that He loves you and He died to forgive you and to bring you into a right standing with God through his righteousness and not your own. So let's stand together. I'm going to invite the, the prayer teams to make themselves available in the front, in the back. And if you're here today and you would like prayer, and, and just prayer, perhaps for some of these things that we're dealing with in the word. Maybe it's prayer for a need that you have, unrelated. But there'll be people here to pray with you and for you and just go before the Lord with you in support and encouragement. So please take advantage of that and uh, just let this time be a time just to wait on the Lord here this morning.